Can you dream of a world immune to cancer? Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I'm the host of the annual live stream for The Cure where content creators and podcasters from around the world join me to raise money for the Cancer Research Institute and Immunotherapy Research, which is training the body's immune system to fight against all forms of cancer. Over the past seven years, thanks to the power of indie podcasters and the indie podcasting community and listeners just like you listening to this right now, we have raised over $90,000. And as I record this now, the eighth annual live stream for The Cure is barreling down upon us really, really quickly in just about two weeks. So join us, please, from May 29th through June 1st for 48 hours of amazing content from people all over the world and help us fight for a world immune to cancer. And I'll return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Thank you so, so much. And together, we can make a difference. Hi everyone, I'm Emma and welcome to Verbal Diorama episode 158, Team America, World Police. This is the podcast that's all about the history and legacy of movies you know and movies you don't. And as always, hi, welcome, welcome back. Whether you are a brand new listener to Verbal Diorama, whether you are a regular returning listener to Verbal Diorama, thank you for being here, thank you for choosing this podcast. No matter how you found this podcast, I'm really happy that you're here for the history and legacy of Team America World Police. And this is an episode that's been so long in the making because no surprise to anyone who is a regular listener of this podcast, but I love Team America World Police. And there's an obvious reason why I love this movie. This is a very practical effects driven movie, first and foremost. And I absolutely love everything about the production design and the puppet work and everything about this movie is just so amazingly well choreographed and put onto film. It's astonishingly good. But before we go into all of that, because I have a lot to say on Tim America, I wanted to say a huge, huge thank you to everyone who's listened to any episode of this podcast, really. But anyone who's listened to the recent miniseries that I did. So I did something called Heroes Through the Decades. And I basically went from the 60s all the way through to the 2020s. And I wanted to focus on one movie per decade. And it was something that, yes, there were so many movies that it made the cut. I actually recently posted on Twitter what you could have won when it came to the decades of the 80s, 90s, noughties, 10s and 20s, because there were so many movies that didn't quite make the cut. And obviously... There were a lot of movies that I will eventually come to on this podcast, but there were so many 
And just to quickly run through and recap the ones that I did do for anyone who doesn't know. So I did previous episodes on Jason and the Argonauts, Superman, Batman, Blade, Spider-Man, X-Men First Class and The Suicide Squad. All of those episodes were so much fun to do, but they were an incredible amount of work to do as well. And to be honest, as much as I love doing superhero movies and I love superhero cinema, I'm probably not going to be doing much superhero stuff in the next couple of months going forward, just purely because I feel like you've got all the superhero stuff now. You're sated with the superhero stuff. I'm going to move on to some other stuff. But what I wanted to do for this particular episode, I wanted this to be quite a special episode because Heroes Through the Decades is over. But this is a special one-off Heroes Beyond the Decades episode because Team America are really the ultimate heroes. And listeners, I saw you do the distress signal. And I know that so many people out there want me to do an episode on Team America World Police. So without further ado, I guess we should go into Team America. It's a satire. It's a parody. It's the dream we all share. It's the hope for tomorrow. Yeah. Here's the trailer. hate to bring it to you, but the world is on the brink of disaster. World crime is at an all-time high, and the only thing standing between order and chaos is us. Just what does this have to do with me? Last week in Paris, we caught four terrorists with a weapon of mass destruction. We have to find out who sold it to them. Our only hope is to have somebody act like a terrorist. We need an actor. And they say you're the best. I've got five terrorists going southeast on Bakalakadaka Street. Soon, every country will be in complete chaos. To save the world from falling apart. And so you see, the new world is inevitable. It's what? Ineb inevitable. One more time? Inevitable! Things are inevitably going to change! One team must pull together. Alright, let's move! It's too soon to be having feelings for you. Maybe. Feelings are feelings because we can't control them. Turn the Earth's darkest moment. Kapla! Three more cities have fallen. I can't I'm not gonna let it end like this. Into mankind's finest hour. There's too many of them. This isn't about sex, Gary. It's about trust. <laughs> All right, let's make this interesting. Kia! Terrorists are coming together with WMDs to terrorise the world and the only people who can help are Team America. After one of their members, Carson, is murdered by terrorists, the team need a replacement, but not just anyone. They need an actor. Someone who can infiltrate the terrorists and find where the WMDs are hidden. All-American Gary Johnston is that actor. <laughs> 
and he will do anything, anything for freedom. When the terrorist leader is exposed as North Korean dictator Kim Jong-il, the team must face his celebrity followers, including Gary's hero, Alec Baldwin. Let's quickly run through the cast. To be honest, there's not really much of a cast in this movie because, as we're going to find out, Trey Parker and Matt Stone did the majority of the heavy lifting here and also the majority of the heavy lifting elsewhere in the movie as well. Seriously, I don't know how these guys did this, but they did. And it's amazing. So Trey Parker stars as Gary Johnston, Joe Smith, Carson, Kim Jong-il, Hans Blix, Matt Damon, Tim Robbins, Sean Penn, Michael Moore, Helen Hunt, Peter Jennings, Susan Sarandon, Drunken Bar, Liv Tyler and Janine Garofalo, Matt Stone as Chris Roth, George Clooney, Danny Glover, Ethan Hawke and Martin Sheen, Kristen Miller as Lisa Jones, Masasa Moyo as Sarah Wong, Darren Norris as Spotswood, Phil Hendry as Intelligence and Maurice LaMarche as Alec Baldwin. Team America World Police was written by Trey Parker, Matt Stone and Pam Brady and was directed by Trey Parker. So I know you're all wondering, how did Team America World Police come to be? Well, to start the story, we need to go back to 1960 and a man called Jerry Anderson. Now, Jerry Anderson is TV royalty here in the UK. Many of us millennials and older gens were raised on his TV shows. And it was in 1960 that Anderson coined the term super marionation, a portmanteau of the words super, marionette and animation. Nothing to do with the nation of a famous Italian plumber who happens to be super, because if you look at the word, it does actually look a little bit like super Mario nation. But it's not. It's Super Marionation. Super Marionation was the term for electronic marionettes with a movable lower lip, which could be synced in time to recorded dialogue. The lip moved due to a solenoid located in either the head or chest of the puppet. Jerry Anderson and his cinematographer friend Arthur Provis founded AP Films in 1956, following the liquidation of their previous employer Pentagon Films. Super Marionation was created by Anderson to increase the respectability of puppetry and marionettes and to distinguish their film and TV work from the traditional puppet theatre. To have a product filmed in Super Marionation made it stand out, much like something filmed in Technicolor. After making Noddy-themed TV ads for Kellogg's cereal, Anderson and Provis were hired by author Roberta Lee to make a puppet TV series of her script, The Adventures of Twizzle, using basic marionettes with papier-mâché heads. Working on a children's puppet TV show kind of embarrassed them, and so they treated the experience like they would a live action series with focus on good lighting and dynamic shooting in the hope that other investors would be impressed and they could move on to more lucrative work. After no further work materialised, they accepted another commission from Lee, Torchy the Battery Boy, this time with wooden puppets with movable eyeballs, twine strings and a hinged jaw. They decided to move on from working with Lee and produce their own independent series for Feather Falls. These puppets were slightly more advanced again with electronic lip-syncing mechanisms designed by art director Reg Hill and camera operator Bill Reed and operated by tungsten steel wires. While not the official first series filmed in Super Marionation, many consider Four Feather Falls to be the first Super Marionation show. The official first TV show to be filmed in Super Marionation was the final 13 episodes of their next series, Supercar. Super Marionation's puppets and puppet sets were made in one-third scale, with the former standing about two feet tall. 
several fine tungsten steel wires between 15,000 and 13,000 of an inch thick were utilised to suspend and control each marionette, replacing the carpet thread and twine strings that had been used prior to Four Feather Falls. The wires were first painted black to make them non-reflective, however this made them thicker and more apparent, so producers invented a method of chemically darkening them to keep them thin. During filming, the wires were frequently hidden with grease mist spray or various colours of paint in order to mix in with the sets and the backgrounds. The weight of the puppets had to be balanced as well. Puppets that were too light would be difficult to manage, while puppets that were too heavy would break their wires. Real human hands, arms and legs were employed to demonstrate complex tasks that puppets can't do, such as manipulating machinery. Reg Hill stated in a 1965 interview that Supermarionation films had three or four times the amount of cutting as live-action films because the puppet's lack of facial expression made it impossible to keep the audience's attention for more than a few seconds per shot. The hollow fiberglass heads of the puppets, as well as the solenoids that controlled their mechanical mouth movements, were distinguishing elements. Regular character heads were totally made of fiberglass, proto-heads were sculpted in clay or plasticine, and then wrapped in rubber or silicon rubber to make moulds, which were then filled with fiberglass resin to create the finished shells. Guest characters were portrayed by revamps, puppets with plasticine moulded faces on featureless fiberglass heads. This allowed the revamps to change from episode to episode and play a greater spectrum of roles. Radio control was used to move puppets' eyes, and the dialogue between the characters was turned into a series of electrical impulses. Each marionette's head was wired with two electrical wires that carried the signals, the solenoid that caused the puppet's lower lip to open and close with each phrase when the signals were activated. Post-Supercar in 1961-1962, to 1962, they also made a series called Fireball XL5 from 62 to 63. APF's first colour series was Stingray in 64 to 65. Stingray is one of the first colour TV series to be broadcast here in the UK. Stingray was a huge success with its aquatic setting. Derek Meddings was also involved as the series special effects director. He used forced perspective and shooting at high speed to make movements seem slower and also to make it look like they were filming underwater when they actually were. And Stingray was one of my favourite shows when I was a kid. So while I was a fan of Thunderbirds, Stingray was really my favourite. So I kind of had to get Stingray in there. This, of course, leads us on to the most famous show that Jerry Anderson made, Thunderbirds. The story of the Tracy family, Father Jeff and his five sons, Scott, John, Virgil, Gordon and Alan, their organisation International Rescue and the missions they go on to save lives. To do so, they utilise five vehicles. Scott pilots Thunderbird 1, a hypersonic rocket plane. Virgil pilots Thunderbird 2, a huge carrier aircraft that transports other vehicles. Alan and John co-pilot Thunderbird 3, a single stage-to-orbit spacecraft. Gordon pilots Submersible Thunderbird 4 and Thunderbird 5 is a space station that relays distress calls to the HQ, also manned by John and Alan. Thunderbirds were ably assisted by Lady Penelope Creighton Ward and her butler Parker in her famous pink Rolls-Royce Fab 1. Thunderbirds was filmed between 1964 and 1966 and had two separate stages and crews and APF upped their full-time crew to 100 for the production of Thunderbirds. Roughly two minutes of footage was shot in a single day and had a budget of between £25,000 to £38,000 per episode, making it the most expensive TV show ever made up to that point. The 13 main cast member puppets cost between £250 and £300 per puppet, with replaceable heads made of plasticine or clay, 
These puppets were approximately two feet tall. Puppeteers coordinated movements with the help of a viewfinder-powered CCTV feedback system, and while most were moved as marionettes, some were puppeted using rods from underneath the studio due to the fact the puppet's lightweight meant they couldn't walk convincingly. Which again is something that I'm going to come back to when we're talking about Team America. And also like in Team America, human hands were used to show more intricate movements. Thunderbirds really was a British TV institution. Airing from September 1965 to December 1966 on ITV with two seasons. There were also feature film sequels called Thunderbirds Are Go and Thunderbirds 6. They were released in 1966 and 1968 respectively. Jerry Anderson's shows were something that despite coming out in the 60s and 70s, were always on TV over here. Famously, Blue Peter, a magazine show for kids, made a Tracy Island, the most coveted toy of 1992, out of papier-mâché, tin foil, newspapers and an empty washing-up liquid bottle. The BBC purchased the rights to Thunderbirds in 1990 and aired it on BBC Two in 1991 with regular repeats. Plans for a live-action film adaptation were first announced in 1993 but ultimately never materialised. And it was Thunderbirds that was the main inspiration for Matt Stone and Trey Parker developing this movie. Except they originally inquired about doing a full puppet Thunderbirds movie, and they inquired about purchasing the rights to it. But they realised the rights had already been snapped up by Universal, and Universal released a Thunderbirds movie in 2004, the same year as Team America World Please, but not with puppets though which is probably one of the most ludicrous Hollywood decisions ever made, but okay, whatever, universal. Matt Stone and Trey Parker, obviously now mostly known for South Park and their particular brand of offensive satirical humour, their feature film careers first started with the black comedy musical Cannibal the Musical in 1993, which in little nod to last episode on The Suicide Squad with James Gunn, Cannibal the Musical was distributed by Troma, and James Gunn obviously having started his career at Troma as well. Parker and Stone moved to Los Angeles and Parker wrote and directed Orgasmo in 1997 about a devout Mormon who takes part in a pornographic film to raise money for his dream wedding. Orgasmo gave the pair their first NC-17 rating by the MPAA, which, if you don't know, an NC-17 rating by the MPAA is basically box office suicide. It means that cinemas won't run your movie. It means the movie won't be stocked in video rental stores or anything like that. So basically the last thing you want is an NC-17 rating by the MPAA. And this was the first of many run-ins with the association. Meanwhile, in Denver, Colorado, the finishing touches were being put to a pilot of a little TV show called South Park, made for the fledgling Comedy Central channel. Developed from a series of animated short films titled The Spirit of Christmas, South Park debuted on the 13th of August 1997 to great success and continued high ratings. I don't want to focus too much on South Park though because, little bit of a spoiler, there's an episode coming next year on South Park Bigger, Longer and Uncut. And that will go into the very complex history of South Park and everything that that movie had to go through. But... Ultimately, just a quick note on South Park Bigger, Longer and Uncut, that movie also included an encounter with the MPAA and another NC-17 rating. It would eventually be given the necessary R rating, but there's a fascinating story in itself there that I'll go into, like I say, early next year, look out for an episode on South Park Bigger, Longer and Uncut. But it's worth pointing out that the MPAA doesn't seem to be the biggest fan of Trey Parker and Matt Stone. 
And to be honest, the feeling wasn't particularly mutual because they didn't particularly learn the MPAA neither. And the relationship between Paramount and Parker and Stone after South Park, Bigger, Longer and Uncut is another thing that I need to talk about in that episode. Needless to say that the relationship was a little bit fractured after 1999. It goes without saying that the world changed come the 11th of September 2001. And not only did movies change, as I mentioned in the episode of Spider-Man briefly, but also foreign policy changed. With American President George W. Bush launching a military attack in Iraq in March 2003, based on the rationale of Iraq having weapons of mass destruction, or WMDs. It came out later from intelligence gathered that Iraq actually didn't have WMDs. But although 9-11, WMDs and intelligence are all mentioned copiously in Team America, that's not the reason the movie actually came about. It was all because of the Roland Emmerich movie, The Day After Tomorrow, which has its own fascinating conception story. CAA agent Michael Wilmer auctioned off the script for The Day After Tomorrow. He called the big studios and invited them to bid for the Roland Emmerich directed movie. Every studio would send a messenger to CAA at a predetermined time to pick up the script, which they would then have 24 hours to study and make a bid on. Each script came with a contract that stated, this is how much we want, this is how much we want for the director, and it has to be a go movie. In other words, a picture with a guaranteed start date for production. Each studio reacted by attempting to negotiate terms. Fox was the sole exception and agreed to all demands immediately, so they made the movie. Because Fox had been so keen to make this movie on literally one line of a plot and a script which Parker and Stone actually found quite hilarious, they realised this script was the greatest puppet movie ever written. And so their idea was to make a puppet version of The Day After Tomorrow, a shot-for-shot parody, to be released the day after the day after tomorrow and named aptly the day after the day after tomorrow. But there was no way they could do it without getting into some legal hot water. And so the idea shifted to a puppet parody of huge Jerry Bruckheimer-style action movies and the reactions to 9-11 and the Iraq war and celebrities' insistence to get involved in foreign policy. Trey Parker and Matt Stone had Scott Rudin of Paramount Pictures on their team, but the other executives didn't get the point. Why puppets? And could they actually make a profit from puppets? And of course, they had the same fears with South Park, and that movie had been a box office hit. And so they figured appealing to younger people couldn't be a terrible thing, especially a movie they could make quickly and on a low budget, because puppets are cheap and easy, right? Right? Matt Stone, Trey Parker and producer Scott Rudin forfeited their $7 million collective fees to ensure that Paramount would offer enough money to maintain the high production standards that Stone and Parker believed was necessary for this movie. And obviously, kind of goes back to a bit of a cheap shot at the start of this movie where it starts out and it looks incredibly cheap and silly and then the camera pans out to see this lavish puppet world. That was a little jab to the producers and basically Stone and Parker thought it would be quite funny for them to think that they'd actually spent all that money on a ridiculous looking movie when actually <laughs> it turned out to be quite an incredible looking movie. So what Stone and Parker did was they enlisted the help of their South Park writer Pam Brady and they spent almost two years perfecting the script for Team America and this script originally contained a lot more gags until they realised that the puppets playing it straight, 
was the biggest gag of all. And like South Park, the idea was to offend as many people as possible from the get-go. They studied popular action and disaster movies, including Pearl Harbor, which would not only get a song dedicated to it, but also Ben Affleck's portrayal in that movie would be used as inspiration for how the puppets would look at each other. Basically, Parker and Stone would take several celebrities and send them up in various ways to varying degrees of success. Friend of the pair, George Clooney, said that he would have been offended had he not been in the movie. Alec Baldwin thought his inclusion was hilarious. Sean Penn, on the other hand, wrote, just like Hans Blix, a strongly worded letter of complaint, which I will come to later. Tim America might look like a bit of a jolly movie containing puppets, but this production was taken really seriously. So seriously, in fact, that they hired some of the best in the industry to work on Team America, including Oscar-winning visual effects artist Joe Viscasil, who worked on Independence Day and Terminator 2 Judgment Day, cinematographer Bill Pope, who worked on Spider-Man 2 and the Matrix trilogy, and costume designer Karen Patch, who'd previously worked on the Royal Tenenbaums and School of Rock, to coordinate the creation of over 1,000 miniature costumes. But the most important had to be the creation of the puppets, and that was down to Stephen, Charles and Edward Kyodo, a.k.a. the Kyodo Brothers. Now, if you don't know who the Kyodo Brothers are, you probably will, because they are probably most well known for their cult classic horror hit, Killer Clowns from Outer Space, which, in a remarkable turn of events, I have actually seen, despite not liking horror and not liking horrible clowns, but I have seen that movie, it was a long time ago, and I probably shan't ever go back to it, because quite scary. The Kyoto brothers wrote, produced and directed Killer Clowns from Outer Space. They're also renowned special effects artists. They specialise in clay modelling, creature creation, stop motion and animatronics. The brothers were responsible for the creation of 300 puppets, starting with the character of Spotswood. Every puppet was built from the ground up and the Kyoto brothers actually used a similar technique to Jerry Anderson making the hollowed-out skulls first so all the little motors would fit inside. The bodies of the puppets were sculpted based on the original Thunderbirds puppets. The glass eyes were all handmade. Any rejected eyes were used for background puppets because only perfect eyes were used for lead characters. The puppets' mouths opened and closed, their lips articulated, their eyes moved from left to right, their brows moved up and down, and their smiles and frowns were all controlled by a wireless system. They'd use pre-recorded dialogue and play it back with puppeteers on stage using joysticks to execute the remainder of the face motion. The Kyodos designed 95 articulated heads, 80 bodies and oversaw the 300 characters in the film, many of whom were destroyed either in miniature explosions or became flooded when the miniature Panama Canal was blown up by the terrorists. These puppets would then be dried out and redressed for other background scenes. Over 60 team members created the 300 different characters that were used during the project. However, only 95 hero mechanical skulls were built. So when a character was finished, Charles Kyodo's cosmetic section would remove the rubber face and replace it with a whole different face. Kind of like Falmorification, really. But also like smooth prosthetics to create new characters by adding facial hair and changing hairstyles. Puppets were repaired and prepared for the next day's shooting by a night crew of six. But there's no point having puppets without puppeteers. And they auditioned the best puppeteers in the world. They hired 15 full-time puppeteers, as well as bringing in part-time puppeteers for big scenes like Panama and the Peace Conference. On one day, they had 47 puppeteers all working together on the same scene. 
And they found that the strongest performers were actually hobbyist puppeteers, the guys and girls who go out and do birthday parties or busking because they were so skilled at their craft. Cinematographer Bill Pope intended to shoot the picture with anamorphic lenses to get the iconic action film aesthetic, but he was unable to do so due to a lack of anamorphic lenses that could focus close enough to the puppets. And when we're talking about production design, set design, there's nothing as incredible as looking in the background of Team America because they used a lot of repurposed stuff in this movie, such as coins they used to make belt buckles, garden hose bubblers are used to make water towers, lamps are made out of cheese graters, the background foliage in Panama is actually cannabis plants, and shredded dollar bills are used to make palm trees. The sleek minimalist headquarters of Team America has a bar stocked with airline-sized micro-booze bottles. Several of North Korea's smaller structures are made up of Chinese food takeout boxes and those little paper umbrellas that you get in, like, cocktails and stuff. Obviously, not everything is made out of commonplace objects. They also had to recreate famous sites and towns such as Paris and London, and they are purposefully anachronistic in their setups. We all know that the Arc de Triomphe isn't actually next to the Eiffel Tower, or if you didn't know, I can tell you it isn't. But it's all in the name of making these sets as blatantly ridiculous as possible to show the ignorant American viewpoint of the world. Hence the Paris, X amount of thousand miles east of America. Visual consultant David Rockwell, a New York architect by day, was hired by Parker and Stone to build the sets to scale. Something as an architect he's not afraid of, what with early stage architectural models and all that. He attempted to build a world with its own strange logic, a reductive American worldview. Rockwell designed an Egyptian skyline filled with pyramids, a home base where jets launched from Mount Rushmore, and an Albert Speer meets Liberace lavish palace for Kim Jong-il, based on photos of his palace available online. And this was all to mimic the oversimplified patriotism of the film's terrifying task force. Kim's statue, which is actually a guy painted gold, is one of the only human actors visible in the movie. And in one scene, you can actually see him move very slightly. And if I remember, I'll try and put that up on social media because it is brilliant to see this statue move. But mostly, Team America World Police is very much a verbal diorama movie. Trey Parker and Matt Stone are men after my own heart because they were very clear from day one that everything on this movie was going to be practical. No matter how hard it was going to be to do it practically, they would find a way. But the realisation soon started to dawn that a fun jolly puppet movie was going to be anything but fun and jolly, but it was going to be a puppet movie. So just to get an indication of what Trey Parker and Matt Stone, specifically Trey Parker because he had more of the responsibility than Matt Stone did as the director, but there was a lot against these guys. They began pre-production with a brief three-day test shoot. They began to grasp how long things were going to take as the days passed. They'd have to constantly fly eight to ten puppeteers around the set to manipulate the marionettes. They'd have to build bridges over the sets of Floyd puppeteering condors overhead to do this. They also recognised they'd have to employ rod puppets from below, which would need drilling holes and grooves in the floors on a per-shot basis. Even with storyboards, it was difficult to foresee everything that would be required to complete a shot. They understood it was going to be difficult after only three days of preparation, and it was going to be even harder and more time-consuming than they even thought possible. And I've not even got to the hell that was filming this movie. 
I mentioned time constraints back in the episode I did an X-Men First Class. That was nothing compared to this movie. Filming started on Team America World Police in May 2004, and it had to be finished by September 2004 for the movie's set release date in October 2004. That was five months. That's five months. There's no ifs, no buts, no maybes. They had five months to do everything on this movie and not just film this movie, but do all of the editing, all of the post-production. And this movie was so close to the wire, you would not believe. So let's talk about the problems that they had on this movie. So the first problem, how do you shoot one third scale? Because a relatively small camera move becomes huge when you scale it down. How do you get a dolly to work at four inches off the ground? How do you measure lighting and depth of field when your actors are two feet tall? And how do you shoot action scenes without your puppet strings getting entangled in each other? You never cross the streams in Ghostbusters and you never cross the strings in Team America. That's a little joke there. You can't do any low angle shots because then you'd see that there aren't ceilings above the marionettes. Likewise, you can't have any high angle shots because you end up with a bunch of strings in front of the lens. An original plan for seven weeks of shooting became 13 weeks of shooting, but that experience of shooting would be extremely laborious. Once a shot was set up, it was often an hour before the puppeteering condors were in place and the puppeteers were rehearsed. For that whole time, most of the crew, you know, your grips, electrics and camera, were basically finished with what they needed to do. So there was at least an hour's wait for everyone else before the scene could be filmed, and even then, things continually went wrong with the puppets, not quite looking right or moving right. A small movement of a puppeteer's hand would move the wrong thing. Parker and Stone were sticklers for detail and a small mistake meant redoing the entire Taj Mahal explosion, for example. Simple movements were easy. Complex movements like a puppet taking a drink. That would take half a day for several seconds of scene. And then there was other movements, other ways of moving these characters. They built gigantic moving sky backdrops for moments where the protagonists are driving or flying to give the impression that the cars and the planes are genuinely moving. Cars were set on massive belt sander type treadmills, painted to seem like desert sand, and sky backgrounds were flying by in the background. And really, this was a pure silent movie, you know, mistakes and lack of coordination, but it fit perfectly into the puppet world they were building. Every explosion in this movie is real. Every stunt in this movie is real. And there's nothing on this movie added by computer. And for that reason alone, Team America remains one of the greatest achievements in filmmaking. Full stop. Don't bother coming for me <laughs> with that comment because it's genuinely true. Everything in this movie is incredible. So even with all this stuff going on with filming problems, puppet problems, special effects headaches, Trey Parker and Matt Stone would also regularly rewrite the script because they wanted to keep the satire as fresh as possible. But this was an additional headache for the production and especially for the Kyodos, whose puppets performed to playback. But as the script was changed, new playback needed to be recorded first before they could film. Often, Parker would complete the dialogue on the fly while also operating the levers for the puppets' mouths so that the puppeteers could hear and follow direction. Not to mention that Trey Parker was also directing this movie solely, starring in this movie with Matt Stone. They were also editing this movie in the evenings as they went on because there really wasn't any time at the end for post-production. Parker was also writing the songs and performing them. They were also doing everything in camera with puppets that were often unpredictable. 
And at the same time, Trey Parker and Matt Stone were still working on South Park. And this is why I keep going back to, how is this movie even here? How does this movie even exist? Because this feels like an impossible task for these men. I mean, they did it. Clearly, they did it. But the sheer amount of stuff that they had to do, that they did. I mean, I'm going to come to what they actually said about the production of this movie in a bit. But boy, oh boy, (laughs) the work that Trey Parker and Matt Stone did. I mean, all the credit to them because... Honestly, this movie is incredible. For five months worth of work for this, I mean, wow. And this is one of the reasons why I desperately wanted to cover this movie and I'm so happy that I have. I can't talk about Team America without talking about the most famous sequence in the movie. And I mean, there are multiple versions of this particular scene. There's one that's quite tame and there's another one that's quite hardcore. And I'm talking about the puppet sex scene. And this was a lot of fun for the team to shoot. Mostly because it was just like Barbie having sex with Ken. And obviously it very much depends on which version you see. And this scene also received a lot of attention. And I don't mean critically or by the MPAA, although I am going to come to that. I mean the set design, the production design. The scene in Lisa's bedroom has these beautiful little small candles over the bed. It has Mount Rushmore beyond the window. It has these slow dolly motions with foreground elements. And it has this wonderfully sappy... (laughs) (laughs) music as well and it's meant to be this classic Bruckheimer moment in which the emotion the film is attempting to elicit is in no way supported by the substance it's just puppets having genitalia free sex in all the positions and this would be the scene that caused the most grief for the movie but more on that in a little bit So I've mentioned the hectic production and this led to Trey Parker and Matt Stone reportedly working 17 to 20 hour days during the day on Team America World Police and at nights on South Park with one day off in five months. Parker and Stone described the making of Team America as the hardest thing they'd ever done, unsurprisingly, and also the worst time of their lives. Just in case you were wondering why they never made a sequel, and they will never make a sequel to this movie, they have point blank refused to work with puppets ever again. And so I said I'd come back to the MPAA. Well, when it came to submitting the movie to the Motion Picture Association of America for rating, they knew that they'd have a bit of banter and a bit of back and forth with the MPAA because, after all, Trey Parker and Matt Stone and the MPAA, they have history. They weren't, however, expecting a hard NC-17 rating. The minute and a half sex scene between Gary and Lisa in the original edit was reduced to 50 seconds. The original scene also had the two puppets doing extreme things to one another, including, well, activities you usually reserve for the toilets, I guess is the best way to describe it. And this whole scene was inspired by what kids do with Barbie and Ken dolls. And I'm sorry, if you haven't simulated sex between Barbie and Ken, have you actually ever lived? The MPIA was given at least nine modifications of the puppet love scene in both length, excuse the pun, and cutting certain positions before they accepted that it had been toned down sufficiently to qualify for an R rating. Funnily enough, the strong violence and literally having puppet heads blown off were really fine with the MPIA. Puppet sex bad, puppet graphic violence, cool, cool, cool. So before I go into all of the additional information about this movie, I want to go into the obligatory Keanu reference (laughs) of 
this episode. So if you don't know, I mean, clearly you don't know why I'm laughing. If you don't know, this is a part of the podcast where I try to link the movie that I'm featuring with Keanu Reeves. And how am I going to link Keanu to a movie that has puppet sex? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not going to link it with the puppet sex. And really the easiest way that I could link this movie was just to say that, you know, this movie shares a director of photography with The Matrix. So yeah, it's boring. I'm so sorry. It's a really boring one. I wish that I could say that my puppet Keanu doll has had sex with my mother puppet doll. I don't even know what I'm saying. No, it's, it's not that interesting. Keanu's never really starred in a puppet movie before. Although I really think that he would have found that quite amusing. But no, Bill Pope is the easiest way to link Keanu to this movie. And please don't listen to this Keanu. And please don't think that I have a puppet sex doll of you because I don't. I promise. Oh God, what am I saying? Okay, let's move on. Let's swiftly move on. Let's talk about the music. Because the music of Team America, honestly, some of the best songs that I think have ever been put to film. But the film's score, so let's talk about the score first. That was composed by Harry Gregson Williams. And this is a legit movie musical as well. The soundtrack contains songs by Trey Parker, including Everyone Has AIDS, Freedom Is A Free, America F*** Yeah, America F*** Yeah Bomber Remix, Dirk A Dirk, Terrorist Theme, Only A Woman, I'm So Ronery, The End Of An Act, Montage, You Are Worthless Alec Baldwin and North Korean Melody. The score itself was completed in just one week and all songs were also written and performed by Trey Parker, except Everyone Has AIDS, which was co-written by Mark Shaman. Mark Shaman also completed the original score for the movie, but this was rejected and he was replaced by Harry Gregson Williams. So we've got to talk about the movie's release. And this is really super interesting because I mentioned the timescales involved and the world premiere took place on the 11th of October 2004. Days before this, at a press junket in Los Angeles, on October the 5th, journalists were only shown a 20-minute reel of highlights of Team America because the film wasn't finished. So October the 5th, the film wasn't finished. October the 11th, the film was finished. The movie was released wide on the 15th of October 2004, the same week as Shall We Dance. Shall We Dance took $100,000 more than Team America on that first week. And Team America opened at number three behind Shark Tale and aforementioned Shall We Dance. It dropped to fifth in its second week and was out of the top ten entirely by week four. Financially, Team America World Police grossed $32.8 million domestically in the US, $18 million internationally for a total worldwide gross of $50.8 million on a $32 million budget. And it was actually received fairly well by critics at the time. And retrospectively as well, currently has a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I'll be honest, this movie is incredibly problematic. I feel like I need to get that out of the way. It is still a fairly effective satire because it basically treats both sides as absolutely moronic. Roger Ebert, though, would give it one out of four stars and say, I wasn't offended by the movie's content so much as by its nihilism. He was critical of the film's sneer at both sides approach comparing it to a cocky teenager who's had a couple of drinks before the party. They don't have a plan for who they want to offend, only an intention to be as offensive as possible. US President at the time, George W. Bush, didn't comment publicly about Team America World Police, and Stone and Parker have always said they did see the point of parodying Bush because so many people already did. But the White House did issue statements condemning the film, 
which Stone and Parker ultimately saw as brilliant publicity, but not quite as brilliant as Sean Penn's open letter, dated the 6th of October 2004, which says, and I quote, to Trey Parker and Matt Stone, I remember a cordial hello when you guys were beginning to be famous guys around Hollywood at some party. I remember several times getting a few giggles out of your humour. I remember not being bothered as you traded on my name, among others, to appear witty, above it all, and likeable to your crowd. I never mind being of service, in satire and silliness. I do mind when anybody who doesn't have a child, doesn't have a child at war, or isn't or won't be in harm's way themselves, is encouraging that there's no shame in not voting, if you don't know what you're talking about. Without mentioning the shame of not knowing what you're talking about, and encouraging people to know, you guys are talented young guys, but alas, primarily young guys. It's all well to joke about me or whomever you choose, not so well to encourage irresponsibility that will ultimately lead to the disembowelment, mutilation, exploitation and death of innocent people throughout the world. The vote matters to them. No one's ignorance, including a couple of hip cross-dressers, is an excuse. All the best. And a sincere f*** you, Sean Penn. P.S. Take this as a personal invitation from me to you. You can ask Dennis Miller along for the ride as well to escort you on a trip, which I took last Christmas. We'll fly to Amman, Jordan, and I'll ride with you for 12 hours through the sunny triangle into Fallujah and Baghdad, and I'll show you around. When we return, make all the fun you want. End of Sean Penn letter. Renowned cinephile Kim Jong-il never commented publicly on Team America, but it was banned in North Korea. Again, unsurprisingly. And I think it's safe to say, and I don't even need to touch wood on this, excuse the pun, we will never see a Team America sequel or anything to do with puppets from Matt Stone and Trey Parker ever again. And while it didn't bring in huge amounts of the box office, it was released on DVD and VHS, remember those, and it was released in both original theatrical versions and the unrated version, which included the full 90-second puppet sex scene, uncut, in all of its, um, glory, but it still sold remarkably well on DVD and VHS, and that obviously bolstered its coffers, and it did end up making money. Right, let's move on to some social media thoughts. So I like to ask on social media what people think of the movie they're featuring. And honestly, I expected a wealth of different comments for this movie. So let's start with the patrons. And we're going to start with perennial commenter Andy, of course. And Andy says, Ah, oh, Team America, a movie that I actually saw in the theatre with my mother. Yes, you read that right. Thank God it wasn't the unrated DVD release with the even more explicit sex scene. As for the movie itself, it's a fantastic homage to the puppetoon technology made famous in Thunderbirds, but definitely has that Parker and Stone spin. This is a family podcast, so there isn't too much I can get into. All I can say is, watch this movie, or I'll put a jihad on you too. And there's no need to put a jihad on me, or, or anyone really, because I'm going to recommend Andy's podcast. It is Geek Salad. They are the podcast that's basically all about your geeky needs, whether that's movies, whether that's music, comic books, games, whatever, wherever, you can always check in to Geek Salad. And I'll put some information in the show notes because it is a fantastic podcast and I listen myself and I really love it. And the next patron comment comes from Derek who says, First off, Trey Parker and Matt Stone are two personal heroes of mine. I find it odd that in the world of film, TV, critical analysis, Comedy often gets less attention and love it deserves. 
Being funny is so darn hard, and people who dedicate their lives to making others laugh are phenomenal. I'm thrilled you're covering Team America, a classic of all classics. Post 9-11 America was a strange time, and one in which to question jingoistic American foreign policy often got folks on the NSA surveillance list. In this context, Team America is a brave critique of the Bush doctrine that America has a God-given right to preventative defensive warfare. But this being the dude who started South Park, they also had to lampoon the liberal intellectual Hollywood elites and their chest-pumping egotism as part and parcel of America's folly. All of this was done so hilariously, so cleverly, with such great music, and let's not forget, they somehow did this with puppets. Freedom costs a buck five. I mean, that is the sort of intelligent and philosophical comment that you will find on Derek's podcast, The Midnight Myth. So you have to go and listen to The Midnight Myth. It's Derek and his wife, Laurel. They've actually just released an episode on The Mummy with me. And it was amazing. It was so much fun. And I actually learned so much that I didn't know about Egyptian history and Egyptology. And trust me, it's a fascinating podcast. And there's nothing that Derek and Laurel don't know. And I'm putting that out there. There is nothing that those two do not know. So listen to The Midnight Myth. You will find it brilliant and funny and super intelligent. So, you know, if you like intelligent podcasts, and you must, because you're here, <laughs> obviously, <laughs> I'm literally nothing compared to Derek and Laurel. So make sure you check out The Midnight Myth. I'll put some information in the show notes. And the final patron comment comes from a brand new patron. I will be introducing him properly at the end of the episode, but this comment comes from new patron Nicholas, who says, One of the funniest films of recent years, as someone who watched stuff like Stingray as a kid, seeing the same sort of puppets doing and saying unspeakable things made it all the funnier and original. Oh, and the unrated version, that's something you don't see every day. No, it certainly is not something you see every day. That is the end of patron comments, but we're going to move on over to Twitter. And we've got quite a few comments on Twitter for this one. This one was super popular on Twitter. So we're going to start with at the real P-E-E-E-E-T-E. -E 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 -E. I still love that handle. Who says, Team America World Please is a litmus test movie I'll bring up when feeling out someone's film taste. You have to be brought into the absurdity to realise just how darn hilarious it is. There are at least a dozen gut-bustingly hilarious scenes which you can't say about most comedies. I love it. At Fantasia R said, Well, a couple of things. Great attention to detail throughout the film and have never said Matt Damon's name the same since. At Sean Geek Podcast said, I love this movie, everything about it, but with two young ladies in my house, I had to stop singing the soundtrack at max volume. Alongside Pick of Destiny, one of the best musicals ever. At Capes on the Couch said, See Chuck, there's three kinds of people in the world. There's D's, there's A's, and there's people who think this is a hilarious movie. At Aranish Jackson said, The brilliance of this movie cannot be understated. To reduce it to just a raunchy comedy, in my opinion, is to cheapen the work that Matt and Trey did here. Amazing original music, spot-on social commentary, and unforgettable moments, not the least of which is the puppet sex scene. I'd also like to add that my Greek theatre professor in college, who also happens to be the screenwriter of Beyond Rangoon, said it was the best comedy he'd seen in 10 years when it came out. At the 80s Movie Pod said, 
I had fun with it the first time around, but like with the Jackass movies, it loses so much on attempted repeat viewings. I would love to see Parker and Stone tackle more non-South Park material. 25 years is enough. At Orland Scott MFC said, The herky-jerky movements of the puppets is so funny, like good actors giving bad performances intentionally. The vomit scene could go on for another five minutes and I would probably keep laughing until I had no more tears left. At Swayze of Arabia said, This movie is a perfect satire of American foreign policy in the early 2000s. It has great writing, great music and the puppet work is great. At Jonathan Blade said, As both a satire of the politics of the time and on the state of action cinema in its era, Team America is incredibly, hilariously effective. I can see it not appealing to modern sensibilities, but it still works for me. I'd love to see a Parker Stone, Joe 90 or Captain Scarlet. At EILF Movies said, Five stars, quote it every single day. Must watch for anyone who enjoys action movies and has a sense of humour. At Podcast WTCC said, This movie is hilarious. It's a pretty good spoof on action movies. My favourite part is when he knocks down the Eiffel Tower and just says, Damn, I missed. At Piecing Pod said, The house cats as big scary tigers is the most underrated scene. And I was wondering when we'd get a comment like this, but at Needed Roads came in and saved us all with a simple Matt Damon. Thank you very much, gentlemen. At At Pedestrian said, Its best aspects still make me laugh and it's generally great satire. At Laughmetician said, one of, if not the best satirical take on American culture and Jerry Bruckheimer films. Many points made in the film are still relevant today, and the original songs are incredible. Also, the puppeteering is masterclass. And at Nobody Asked For Pod said, Every time I watch Team America, I point out the real person hidden as a statue. People have now stopped watching Team America with me. Moving over to Instagram, just the one comment on Instagram from at SP underscore film viewers who said, it's the dream that we all share. It's the hope for tomorrow. And just added a little F yeah on the end. There are no comments on Facebook, which is a little bit disappointing because Facebook had really been picking up in recent weeks. Obviously, I have had to censor some of the comments for language because unfortunately, this is a family friendly podcast and all of the little swears in this episode that have been available for patrons will not be available in the finished episode. So I have had to remove some little swears, but thank you so much to everyone for your comments. Team America has just been so wildly popular for people who follow me on the social medias, especially on Twitter. And I'm so grateful for all of your comments on Team America because this is a super fun movie and it feels like so many people have forgotten about how brilliantly executed this movie is. But, you know, that's why Verbal Diorama is here, to actually talk about incredible movies like this. And I can't do that without the wonderful people on social media who give their comments. So thank you so much to everyone on Patreon, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook for your comments on Team America World Police. Here's the thing. This movie lives and dies on it being a marionette movie. What do I mean? By that, well, people dismiss it because it's just a silly puppet movie. And so, like the MPAA, they dismiss the content as well. Puppets violently murdering each other is acceptable. And the politically incorrect humour also works more due to the fact it's puppets saying it, not that it makes it less offensive because this movie is quite offensive. But it cleverly bypasses a lot of the traditional ire because not only is it a puppet movie, 
It shows both sides, the terrorists and Kim Jong-il, as well as the celebrities who endorse him in the name of peace, and the jingoistic Team America to both be as dumb and ridiculous as each other, satirising the shoot-now-think-later mentality of action movies and literally blowing up everything inside. It's the literal absurdity of both sides that make this movie still work, because, let's be honest, the world is even more divided now than it was in 2004. It feels like post-9-11, post-the-90s action boom, post-the-new millennium, that Team America came out at exactly the right time. Ten years later, the interview would have Sony hacked and threats to attack the New York premiere of the movie, as well as any cinema showing it. The Los Angeles premiere had already gone ahead without incident, but Sony still pulled advertising, and Seth Rogen and James Franco pulled out of appearances to promote it. It goes without saying that I think Team America involving puppets probably helped it to not seriously offend anyone, so it didn't quite get the backlash that the interview got. But it still managed to offend as many people as possible. And that is basically a Matt Stone, Trey Parker trademark at this point. I love this movie. I love this movie less for the satire, although it is still a very funny satire, but mostly because I love puppets. I love marionettes. And I love that everything in this movie is practical. This is the sort of movie that if you read into how they made it, you'll actually wonder if it truly exists. Or is this a glitch in the Matrix? Because all of the production issues and time constraints literally don't exist on screen. It's just such a perfect mix of this intricate puppet work, brilliant miniature sets with so much detail, plus this glorious mix of ridiculous humour, toilet humour, and parody and satire. Everything 90s action movie is lampooned, from the reluctant hero, to the sultry sex goddess, to the aggressive team rival, to the love triangle, or is it a quadrangle, I don't know, the manipulative leader, the supercomputer deus ex machina, and the fact that everyone who's a person of colour in the movie must be a terrorist. Although saying that, I do recall seeing some people of colour in the background in Panama, so maybe that's not quite true. But either way, celebrities could always be relied on to become political correspondents when something happens in the world. And then there's the musical tracks, and they're so pitch perfect to the parody, and they're also absolute bangers in their own right. Freedom Isn't Free focuses on the nationalistic songs that emerged in the aftermath of 9-11. End of an Act is a parody of the compulsory Boy Loses Girls song, as well as a diatribe against Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor. No idea if Michael Bay has ever commented on that one. Furthermore, Montage honours one of cinema's greatest pastimes while also being wonderful workout music. And I'm So Ronery is far more moving than it has any right to be and actually goes some way to humanising one of the world's most secretive and segregated leaders. Trey Parker, Matt Stone and everyone involved in this production deserve our utmost respect and praise, not just for making this, but actually seeing it through, foregoing their own lives for five months to get this movie made. This movie is a phenomenal achievement. Like Who Framed Roger Rabbit all the way back in episode four of this podcast, I mentioned how it was unlikely we'd ever see anything else like that on screen ever again. And of course, since then, we've had a lovely little homage to it in the new Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie, which is very good, actually, and I enjoyed it a lot. Still not as good as Roger Rabbit or as complex as Roger Rabbit. But this movie, Team America World Police, we will never see anything like this. Not in tone, not in content, not in style or complexity or production design or technical achievement. 
Team America World Police is literally one in 9-11 times a billion. You mean? Yes, Team America World Police is one in 911 billion. Thank you for listening. As always, I would love to hear your thoughts on Team America World Police. And not only would I love to hear your thoughts on Team America, I want you to get involved in this podcast because that's the way this podcast could grow and reach more people. So the ways that you can get involved is you've heard people give comments on this movie. It's really easy to leave a comment. So go on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Go to me. I am at Verbal Dinorama. Find the thoughts posts that go up. They normally go up on a Saturday. Leave your comment and I will read that comment out. It's really that simple. And if you do want to help this podcast to grow, that would be incredible because I am literally doing this on my own. I don't have a producer. I don't have a writer. I don't have a social media manager. I am literally Verbal Diorama. Verbal Diorama is me and I am the only one working on this podcast. So anything that you can do to help get the word of mouth for this podcast would be amazing. So things you could do to help, you could leave a rating or review wherever you found this podcast. You can go on social media, as I've already said, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, that verbal diorama. And you can like posts, you can retweet posts. You can even talk to me on social media as well. I'm always happy to talk to people. You can also just simply tell your friends or family about this podcast and maybe even help them download a podcast app if they don't already have one. Another thing I like to do in every episode is I like to recommend similar episodes, similar movies. There's really nothing like Team America out there. And there's certainly nothing like Team America in the Verbal Diorama back catalogue. But you might also like the following movies slash episodes of this podcast. And I'm going to start with episode four, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Just because it's amazing. And it's a real technical achievement. Unlike pretty much anything that we've ever seen. And for that reason, it's comparable to Team America World Police. And it's a really great movie. Please check out Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's on Disney Plus and it's so well worth your time. Episode 23, Mystery Men, because that is quite an effective satire of superheroes. Otherwise, it's nothing like Team America, but it's a super fun movie. And really the only movie I could think of, which kind of had the same level of humour, was probably Deadpool. So episode 102 on Deadpool. Obviously, again, nothing like Team America at all, but it's very funny. And so I was basically trying to choose movies that fit in with the tone of Team America or the look of Team America or the production design of Team America. And so really, they're your only options. But Team America is so unique and so fascinating. It really does kind of stand on its own in cinema history. And I think that's another reason why I love this movie so much. Of course, give me feedback. Let me know what you think of my recommendations. So the next episode. So I need to tell you that the next episode is going to be in two weeks time. Now, this was not planned. I did plan to do an episode next week. However, I've been working really hard recently. I've been working exceptionally hard on the podcast and I've been doing a lot of late nights, a lot of weekends. And so I've decided that I'm going to take a break. So come back in two weeks time for an episode on the movie Enchanted and what better movie to come back to than the utterly charming Amy Adams as Giselle just in time for filming they've already started filming this sequel Disenchanted I'm super excited to be talking about Enchanted again this is a movie that's been on my list for so long and 
I think it's right to come back to something that is really sweet and really lovely and it's got beautiful animation and Amy Adams is genuinely one of my favourite actors. So basically expect an entire episode gushing over how fantastic Amy Adams is just generally because she's amazing. So yeah, come back for that in two weeks' time. Now this podcast is free and it always will be free and you never need to worry about anything to do with that. But if you do want to support this podcast financially, there is a way that you can do that. You can sign up to the Patreon. It's verbaldiorama.com slash Patreon. And what do patrons get for becoming a patron? Well, there's all sorts of little treats there. So patrons get early episodes. They get access to the upcoming schedule. They get freebies. They also get the knowledge that they're making this podcast look better, sound better and be better as well. And also, as of this episode, actually, the patron episodes are going to be getting swears. That's right. Verbal Diorama patron episodes aren't going to just be early from now on. They're also going to be expletive. Never fear, though. The main feed will remain family friendly, suitable for all ages and any swear words in this episode, because there are a few, let's be honest, they will be bleeped out and you don't need to worry about the main feed becoming explicit. The main feed will remain family friendly, but the Patreon feed will contain the odd swear here or there. So if you are interested in hearing my potty mouth, then you can sign up to the Patreon, just like the amazing patrons of Verbal Diorama. Simon E, Sade, Claudia, Simon B, Laurel, Derek, Vern, Kristin, Kat, Andy, Mike, Griff, Luke, Emily, Michael, Scott, Brendan, Ian M, Lisa, Sam, Will, Jack, Dave, Chris, Stuart, Ian D, Sunny, Drew, and welcome to a brand new patron, Nicholas. I met Nicholas at the live show that I did in March. He actually was the sweetest. He gifted me some amazing posters, including an amazing poster of The Mummy. And now he's gifting me with his patronage. Thank you so much, Nicholas. Thank you to all of the patrons. Is it time for a patron montage? Montage. <laughs> Eva Rocky had a montage. Montage. And if you are interested in the mummy, there are mummy themed t-shirts that are available at verbaldiorama.com slash merch. You can get in touch, verbaldiorama at gmail.com. You can say hi. As I said, you can say hi on social media too. You can also say hi at verbaldiorama.com. And I also do writing work for film stories. You can check out my online articles at filmstories.co.uk. You can also buy copies of the magazine, which I write for as well. And finally. Weird. We're reckless, arrogant, stupid And the Film Actors Guild are And Kim Jong-il is an Don't like because get by But also Who just want to on everything may think they can deal with their way, but the only thing that can is a with some balls. The problem with is that sometimes they too much of when it isn't appropriate. Yes, Gary, yes. And it takes a to show them that. But sometimes get so full of that they become themselves. Because are only an inch and a half away from it. I don't know much in this 
crazy, crazy world. But I do know that if you don't let us this, we are gonna have our and our all covered in. Okay, time to get the bleepers out, guys. <laughs> Patrons will get that in full. Main feed. It'll be bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> Bye.